Welcome to Hope Through the Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. I'm Steve Norman with Winning at Home, and welcome to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. I'm excited to have as my guest today, Krista Mason. She's the executive director of Benjamin's Hope here in Holland, Michigan. And she's also the mother to its namesake. I am, yes. Krista, tell us a little bit about your family story and how you got from when Ben arrived in your world (laughs) to the seat that you're sitting in now. Okay, so I I would love to do that, Steve. So Ben is my youngest son, and he's, you know, today he's 25 years old, big guy, 250 pounds. Um, And Ben is, is fun and engaging and mischievous and full of personality. But he's profoundly affected by autism. Okay. Yeah. So, so our story really starts with um, going back many years um, when Ben was newly diagnosed as a little two-year-old guy. And at, at that time, we were living in Columbus, Ohio, which really never goes over well here in, <laughs> in Michigan, <laughs> you know, in Buckeye Land, which is where I grew up. And um, Ben was diagnosed at two and you know, that was 1997. So autism wasn't a household word yet. And what were some of the indicators that you yeah. that you sensed that testing was going to be helpful? Yeah. I will say Ben's development for the first 15 months of life was right on track. Okay. He was hitting all his milestones. He was developing language and um, had jokes and he was very engaging. Yeah. And around um, the age of 15, 16 months, that just started to go away. And um, over a period of about four months, it was like Ben just folded into this inner world and he lost his language he ceased to see us like i would be doing something that would um you know previously have just made him go into peals of laughter sure. right in front of him and it was like he was looking through me and couldn't like even, you weren't there like i wasn't there i mean it, i wasn't there it was like he i couldn't reach him he had folded into this inner world um that i didn't have access to okay when you got those results, what transpired? Okay, so, and this story I will say is true of probably a lot of folks that are listening that have a loved one with autism. You know, you go through this path, you start with your pediatrician, then, you know, well, perhaps it's a hearing loss. Perhaps it's, you know, you kind of move through sure. these stages of specialist. And, you know, I remember it was actually Ben's second birthday. The day of his birthday was the day that we were scheduled to meet Um, with the psychologist that had done all this testing and to find out, you know, what's the result. And, you know, I I remember that day like it was yesterday. You know, we're sitting with Ben in this doctor's office, and (laughs) he's playing with his little Thomas the Tank Engine trains on the floor. And this doctor walks in and sits down and very directly says to me, your son has autism. And I remember in that moment feeling like this this doctor had this this ability to just erase everything that I thought I knew about Ben, about being his mom, and replace it with this word that was just terrifying to me. So where did you go from there? Yeah. Like- he did a couple things that I, I'm sure that I wasn't able to take in everything he was saying. Especially you know. since we didn't know then much of right, what we know now. Right, right. It was a word that I'd heard, um, but I wasn't familiar with. It scared me. Um, and, you know, so I'm certain he said many things to me that I wasn't able to absorb. Sure. But what he did say to me that 
became so important. Two things. He said, first of all, this is still your Ben. Mm-hmm. This is your Ben. And I thought, this is my Ben. I know Ben. I love Ben. So that kind of restored that for me. And then he said, time is your enemy. You don't have time to sit around feeling sorry for yourself. Ben needs early intervention, and you need to get busy. Wow. Wow. So oh, right. so, that, so there was the affirmation that yes. like, this is still- This you, is your boy. You know your boy. But there was a yeah. sense of urgency. And he did both. He did it in perfect balance, right? Um, right. And so, you know, my husband was sitting next to me and we looked at him and we were like, well, what would you do if this was your son? And you know, you know what he said? He said, I'd move to New Jersey. <laughs> Just because that's where the care was? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, the, the coasts <laughs> tend to have stronger a- academic programs. Sure. Um, you know, even to this day, you know, that's where the research money yeah. is, right? So he said, you need to move to New Jersey. We're like, we don't know anyone in New Jersey. Why would we move to New Jersey? <laughs> so, you know, we did go home. You know, we, we made a list of, you know, obstacles, pros and cons. And there were a long list on the side of staying where we were, where we had family and friends and support. Um, and there was pretty much nothing on the New Jersey side. And we prayed about it. And Lord, if you want us to go to New Jersey, we'll go. But look at this list, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So um, so we didn't go at that point. We started a 40-hour-a-week home program for Ben. Wow. Right. So he's two, you know, two years, three months old, and he's working 40 hours a week in a very, very intensive program um, and, and making progress. But Here's the fast forward. Two years later, we're in the throes of this program, and he is making progress, but autism was ruling our lives. Um, okay. You know, Ben Ben does not have a gentle form of autism. Sure. Autism is a spectrum disorder, mm-hmm. so every person with autism is different. And um, for Ben, I think autism is and always has been ex- just just rather excruciatingly hard. So, you know, now Ben's four and working hard in this program. And, you know, we're, you know, at this point, not even actively thinking about the New Jersey recommendation, right? And Dave came home from work one day and he said, let's put the boys down. I've got something to tell you. And we did. And I sat down. He said, they want me to take a position in New Jersey. Get out. Yeah. God, right? I mean, every, there, there's so many. We'd have to be on, you know, in this conversation for hours to tell you all the ways that that God went before us to make a path um, that was aligned with his plan for Ben's life and a bigger plan yet than that. And did that timing end up working for you in the long run? Like, was there ever any part of you who were like, God, if we're going to end up in New Jersey anyway, why couldn't it have been two years ago? Nope, we just did it. You okay. know, we just did it. And there were other confirmations in different ways um, that, that you know, made made it clear that this was the time. And so we moved to New Jersey, um, you know, and in fact, the, the school programs in New Jersey were, you know, very strong. And so that was a, that was a real gift. So... I am thinking at this point, you know, because I, uh, I'll back up a little. One morning um, while we were still in Columbus, I was just struggling. Ben was, uh, you know, Ben at that point was not sleeping much and he was raging and, and it was affecting every aspect of our family life. And I was, I was weary and struggling and I was up 
early one morning and I was sitting with my Bible and my journal and I opened up to a passage that we all know that I, I think as a 16-year-old girl picked out as my life passage, Jeremiah 29, 11. Sure. And I went to that and I was journaling that with Ben's name in it, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, Benjamin, says the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, plans for a hope and a future, Benjamin. And then the passage goes on in a way that I'd probably never paid attention to. The next portion of that passage says, um, and I will rescue you from the dark place where I have driven you. I will bring you back. And I wrote that in my journal, and I believed that that was God's word to me to say that I have a good plan for your son. And in my mind, in my human calculation, I could not fathom that God had a good plan that could include autism, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm certain that God is going to lift autism. You know, that by some point in the future, Ben is not going to be a person with autism because God has promised me this good plan with a hope and a future for right, Ben, right? Right, right, right. So I, you know, began at that point operating out of that belief that I will do everything. We will, as a family, do everything that we have at our disposal, but that God has a plan to lift autism, right? Sure. Right. So so when we moved to New Jersey, I'm thinking, okay, clearly this is part of God's plan to lift autism because now yeah. we'll have these great schools and whatnot, right? Right, right. Right. So we're there, and um, now Ben's four years old. And one day I had this image pop into my mind as clear as a photograph. It's only happened to me once in life, and it was so clear. And it was the picture of a farmstead community, a beautiful farming community for adults with autism. And that it would be a place where they had belonging and purpose and where it, um, they could grow, you know, in ways that would be amazing for them. So I had this, this vision in my head, and I shared it with my father-in-law, who was visiting at the time. And I said, but, God, but Ben's not going to need this because God's going to heal Ben. Right. But that would be a really good thing for someone else to do. <laughs> Oh, right. So then, you know, five years pass, and I'm Ben at that point is is making progress, but not quickly. Okay. And the disparity between you know where he was and his neurotypical peers was growing, and by this time he's you know as big as I am and raging, and um, you know it was it was hard for him. It was hard for us. And my father-in-law was visiting, and he said, well, Krista, where are you with the idea for a farm? And I said, well, I haven't started. And he said, it's time. So he was kind of holding your feet to the fire? Absolutely. And I was so mad at him. <laughs> you, know, you know how when like, somebody says that truth and love thing to you yeah. that you desperately don't want to hear, right? Sure. Carlisle Barney says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you flinch before it sets you ah, free. That's the part that I needed. It will make you flinch. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I literally, when he said that to me, I felt like he kicked me in the stomach. And it was the most loving thing that a person could say to me, say to me at that point, and it needed to be said. But it was, as you said, I, I didn't want... 
I didn't want to look at the reality that at this point, it does not seem that God's pulling us out of autism. Autism is gripping us more with each passing day. So what what was going through your heart and your soul when yeah. you started to come to grips with the fact that maybe the hope and the future that yeah. God had for Ben and you and your family still had autism in that equation? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Well, after getting through being mad at my father-in-law, and I didn't punch him, but I probably made faces, um, I, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I sure. can switch gears quick, right? Yep. Um, and I thought, all right, this is what it is. So what do I need to know and learn? How do I follow? If God has this vision, you know, this, this image that I've seen so clearly of a farmstead community, I better learn how to develop a nonprofit. I better figure out how to do this thing, believing that God would equip me. But I think, I think there was a hope in that. And I want to share this. I love to share this for families that perhaps have youngsters, yeah. you know, who have diagnoses or even older children. The The place that I got to, and it happened in, in little, you know, increments, is that God's no to my prayer that he would receive autism did not mean that he was saying no to Ben, having a life of purpose and a wonderful and full life. It meant that he was saying it's going to look different than you think it's going to look, Krista. So there was still a hope in the future. There was a it great just hope. was of a different stripe and shade than that's what right. you anticipated. That's right. So I think that's where, for us as parents, the surrender comes in of if and it, it's autism or anything else, you know, that somebody we love in our life has is if, if it's not going to be without the thing that I wish would go away, then can I surrender to God my idea and expectation of what life is supposed to look like to yield to something that he has in mind that's bigger and better. And I, and I love that in context of the people that Jeremiah 29 was mm-hmm. written to. It was written to a nation in exile. Yes. They didn't ask to go to Babylon. They right. didn't want to go to Babylon. Right. The, the process of them arriving in Babylon was traumatic. That's they right. lost their possessions. They lost relationships. <laughs> they lost businesses right. and homes. Yes. Maybe even loved ones. Mm-hmm. And God says, hey, the cold reality is this is where you're going to be. Right. Right. But I'm going to make it beautiful here. I'm going to make it beautiful. And I think that's the crux of where our spiritual grappling needs to happen in these times of life where all of a sudden a diagnosis or something else happens that um, we didn't want to choose. We would happily have, you know, not experienced. It's the stripping away of my expectations that leaves me feeling directionless and frightened, you know, sometimes. But then leaning into, do I trust my sovereign God to restore and replenish and redeem these things that grieve me in such a way that will bring glory to him and be good for our lives? Krista, what do you say to parents who are trying to walk that tightrope between, I believe that God can redeem and there's hope and I want to, you know, kind of suck it up and pull up my bootstraps and and then... and in the same breath, yeah. continue to name and grieve and mourn what they feel like they've lost. Yeah, that's a great question because it is grief. And and there's no disparaging of a person with autism in saying that, you know, that you do grieve when your child goes through something that um, that hurts them and hurts, you know, your expectations of what might be in their future. I think what I would say is, you know, be okay with holding the tension of, as a parent, I'm going to pursue and do everything that I have 
access to that would be good for my child's growth and development with the fact that I ache over what life isn't for him or for her right, right now. Be okay with that. And and that's where I think the surrender comes is I'm not going to, and I think that's why that doctor said, you don't have time to sit around feeling sorry for yourself, mm-hmm. right? So it was a call out of self-pity. It was. It's like, you know, time matters here. Okay. You know, and I think as, as, as believers, we know that God calls us to be active in the midst of, um, you know, making right brokenness in our world. So we don't get to sit back and just feel sad and grieved, though the grief is real. Sure. Right? So it's it's the finding the balance of acknowledging and, and allowing yourself to experience the grief, but become active, take steps, and small steps, they matter. All of them build upon one another, trusting that God does in his His providential way reconcile all of, the, of this you know, for good in the long game. So it's not only possible, but it's necessary to kind of walk weeping. Walk weeping. That's a good way. Right. And, and I think, you know, find some parents who are further down the road. Okay. And, and um, somebody said this to me early on, you know, when, when Ben was first diagnosed, I literally felt like I had a phone growing out of my ear because I was calling Every professional I could, like, teach me about this. I want, you know, I was pursuing so many things for Ben, and it made our life just hyper focus on autism, you know, yeah. and some of the things that perhaps fit in life before didn't. And I had a friend say to me, You need to weed your garden, meaning it's okay to let your world become a little small for a while and keep in your world those people who can encourage you forward you know, who know more than you know, so they can yeah. help you take these next steps and be okay with letting go of the other thing that you just literally don't have room for. Sure. You paused when you said that, you know, you had this challenging conversation with your father-in-law. Yes, yes. Where did it go from there? Okay. So I have the challenging conversation. I know I've got to switch gears. Um, we started at that point, you know, from New Jersey, researching models all over the country. Um you know, with the question, what happens when the school bus stops coming? You know, when our kids are in school, no matter what age or what needs they have, we have this infrastructure around them. And for families who have um, children, you know, that are now finishing the school system, it's like a cliff. I mean, all of a sudden this- Just a hard stop. It's horrible. The bus stops coming. And if your child isn't on a path toward employment, you know, perhaps they're, you know, more profoundly affected by autism, you go into like this horrible place of isolation where you've lost, you know, sometimes all the network and natural supports you've got. So we started researching what in the world happens at that point. And we studied models all over the country. and I studied things that I loved, and I studied things that made my heart break. Um, some of the places where adults with disability live um, just, you know, literally break your heart. And so I studied all of them, and that started to form what became kind of the bone structure of an early business plan for what is Ben's Hope today. And how did you, how did you get to the spot that you are today? Right, right. So we're in New Jersey believing that God has, you know, because that's where we lived at this point. We went there, you know, in obedience and believing that surely God has a plan, you know, for us to do this in New Jersey. But then I was running into 
brick wall, brick wall, brick wall. Everywhere I went, there was just, you know, no open door for a vision for a, you know, a live, learn, play worship model, which is the language we landed upon. Um, You know, I'll say, you know, when we thought about Benjamin's hope in the early days, we were thinking about what are all the things that make life full and wonderful for all of us. Sure. It's friendship. It's belonging. It's it's a place to grow spiritually. It's purposeful and engaging work. You know, God created us to be productive. You know, it's all of these things. So I'm thinking, okay, that's those are the things, the, you know, live, learn, play, worship. And I'm I'm you know, moving forward with a hope of doing this in New Jersey and, you know, brick walls and saying, Lord, what's the plan here? Because I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to be obedient to this, you know, very clear call that you've placed on my heart, but this is, this is not happening. And about that time, um, my husband, Dave, got a call from a former colleague here where he grew up saying, hey, would you consider coming back to Michigan? And so we did. And one of the beautiful stories, again, about how God went ahead of us in this, when we were exploring coming back to Michigan, Dave was interviewing for a position with a local company. And and in the conversation with the man who would become his boss and his wife, the wife said to me, Krista, why do you want to come to Michigan? And I said, well, I want, I want to develop a farmstead community for adults with autism. And she said, oh, I need to introduce you to my sister's family. That family, many years later, donated the 40-acre property that Ben's Hope exists on today. It's just (laughs) stunning because, again, it it, it seems surprising to us, but God has had it mapped out from day one. Day one. Day one. And I think, you know, the the part of, of our story that I think and I hope connects with you know, folks that are listening today, even if they don't have autism in their life, is in every way, God went ahead of us and had a redemptive plan Mm. um, for Ben's life, for our life as a family, and for hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, it's so much bigger than Ben. Um, So I look at Ben's life and I think, all right, I was asking, imploring God to take away autism. And he, he said, no, Krista, I have a different plan, and I look at it now, and I think, you know, Ben's life, um, it counts for, you know, God's kingdom in a way that I could have never imagined, and but for his autism, how could this have happened? And the ripple effect is extending far beyond anything yeah. you'll ever be able to appreciate this side of eternity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that. You know, we have a you know, I talked about the live, learn, play worship, right? So the worship um, pillar of Ben's Hope refers to the Church of Ben's Hope, which meets every Sunday night at 6 p.m. And we have folks that come from Kent County, Allegan County, Ottawa County, you know, Traverse City sometimes. I mean, families that drive to have a worship experience, um, we're an all-abilities church. So everybody's a part. Um, You know, this isn't you know, this isn't a situation where the people with disability have a classroom for themselves down the hallway. We're, we're all in this together, and it is eclectic and sometimes loud and 
Pastor Eric gives a message that respects dignity. It's not a Sunday school lesson for second graders. Right. It is a challenging message for every person that sits there. You know, he's been doing a series recently on image bearers. Mm. And what does that mean when you're in an all abilities context? You know, how does a person who has profound limitations in their body, how do they understand, you know, God's teaching on being an image bearer. So it is a a challenging message designed for, you know, an all abilities crowd. And it's, it's the, the most extraordinary thing to worship this way altogether. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's, it's wild. It's a little scary once in a while because there's just so much more movement, right? you know, and, and sound than most of us are accustomed to. Yeah. Um, but I cannot tell you how often I hear, you know, from somebody who's coming for the first or second time, I think this is what church is supposed to look like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. It's incredible. Yeah. So for people who haven't had a chance to be on site at Bento, right, can right. you just paint a visual picture? Oh, sure. For, for sure. what's on those acres and what happens over the course of a week. Okay. So if you drive on Riley Street, you know, on the north side of Holland, west of 152nd, you'll come up to a white fence that um, behind that you'll see an Amish red barn. You'll probably see alpacas, you know, wandering out, you know, in the pasture. And you drive into the campus and um, what you'll see, if you were to spend some time at Ben's Hope, you'll see men and women who live there. You know, in our six, we have six homes in the neighborhood, and um, 31 people live in the homes at Ben's Hope. And you'll see them, you know, riding bikes, participating in devotions at the start of the day. Um, you'll see them learning skills in the barn and garden. Okay. Like, for example, we make really awesome soap. Yeah. <laughs> So that's part of the work model. It's part of the work model. It's it's recognizing that every endeavor that we have is is selected and um, developed for the purpose of helping the men and women that participate in our various programs um, live into their God given gifting. Right. Yeah. So um, so they're participating in culinary programs and barn and garden horticulture. We do a reading around the world club where we learn about other cultures and what God's doing elsewhere in the world and how can we be part of that. So, you know, so, so that is kind of a, a, you know, overview of what happens during the course of a day. That program that I, you know, recent, that I just described is also open to folks in the community. Okay. Yeah. So a little limited right now with COVID, Sure. but we're looking for, (laughs) we're looking forward to a day soon when we can um, make that program widely available to people who don't live at Ben's Hope, but perhaps live with, you know, their parents or somewhere else in the community. So you've had a lot of wrinkles that you've kind of had to to face and overcome. Talk just briefly about COVID and uh, Uh, how that was an opportunity for you to hang on. to God's faithfulness in a new way. Yeah. So COVID, you know, a challenge for all of us in different ways. You know, for us, um, it takes um, about 100 employees to run Ben's Hope. Okay. And, um, you know, we, of course, are a healthcare-related industry. So for us, we don't shut down. You know, um, our staff come to work 24-7, just as they always have. And so what that meant for our our direct care workers is they're caring for people who have COVID sometimes. They're certainly, um, you know, working with 
the mandates that we receive from the state and from the health department. So they were still wearing masks and working under um, pretty stringent COVID um, restrictions. And while our staff are doing that, they're juggling their own lives, right? Sure. You know, they're you know perhaps their childcare is affected because schooling isn't as regular. Um, so it's it's been challenging for us. I think um, you know I'll, I'll start with the hard parts and then I'll go to what is extraordinary where we've seen God just do amazing things. I think the hard part is when you are an essential worker providing care in the midst of a pandemic, you've got stamina for so much, but then it, it, it becomes hard to keep yeah. keep going. Yeah. So um, so that you know that's a reality for us and anyone in my industry. Um, and so we're working very hard to both you know invite people to be part of our team, but also to really support our staff who show up and they show up. I mean, they don't just show up and like grind out a job. They show up and engage. And they're and fully present. They are so fully present. And so for the men and women who live at Ben's Hope, I think I think the pandemic as a whole has has um, not been as hard unless, of course, you know, it's a person that has COVID. That's been hard. But um, but for our staff, they're really um, the the warriors in this because they come and they show up and they, you know, with their own struggles that are part of of pandemic. Yeah. 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 And how have you seen God show continue up? to provide? Yeah. Okay. So here's here's a practical thing that happened. You know, when the pandemic hit, like all of us, we we're like you know, this onslaught of regulations and requirements and practices that sure. we've never incorporated into our business. So we're working in, through all that. One of them was, you know, we, we had to decentralize our life enrichment program, okay. um, which prior to COVID, we'd start together at nine o'clock in the morning, do this wonderful time of devotions, and then disperse into, you know, things all over the community, as right. well as on our campus. And then we'd gather at the end of the day and reflect on that. Well, we couldn't we couldn't gather in big groups anymore. So we had to create a decentralized programming model that I truly it almost broke our brains because it was organizationally a different way to operate. But what we found is that people really thrived. So those homes kind of became their own pods. Exactly. That's exactly like they were operating like little families. They were still doing all the things they were accustomed to doing. So you're still going to culinary. You're still going to barn and garden. But you're going as a, almost like a little family group. That's great. Yeah. So operationally, I I can't even tell you how tricky that was to think that through. But when we were a couple months into it, we noticed that people were thriving, that some of the behaviors that were challenges, you know, for us before had diminished. And the staff, this was an amazing thing. You know, our our staff at Ben's Hope are called sidekicks. Okay. Which we landed on that name many years ago because in this industry, you know, often staff are called residential aides. You know, okay. that's just gross, you know? Sure. <laughs> you know, if, I mean, yeah, no criticism to the big industry. But, you know, like if you're a 25-year-old man, is it dignified to have to say, I want my residential aid? Or is it my sidekick? Gotcha. You know, the idea sure. that I need your help and yeah. you need my help. Right, right. We love that. So the sidekicks, our staff, you know, they they were amazingly adapting during this, which was kind of like 
the word that we felt like we said every two minutes. We've got to adapt. We've got to be flexible. And they did it. And I feel like God just equipped us in that way to move through what was a very hard time and allowed us to ultimately, I think, provide better care for the men and women who live at Ben's Hope because of it. It's great. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Krista, talk about people in the community yep. who might be looking for a way that they could come alongside right. an organization like Ben's Hope. Yeah, I love and that question. Support yeah. families and residents. What What are ways that they can invest? That they could connect with us. I would say the the easiest and the best way to start is come to church on Sunday night. Okay. Just be part of this with us, worship with us, because what happens there, and it happens rather organically, is you just start to get to know not just the residents of Ben's Hope, but many of the families in our community who come to Ben's Hope, this is their church. Because like the bigger, bigger vision that I think about and pray about is, you know, the, the folks that live at Ben's Hope, they, they have wonderful resources and life, right? But for every person that lives at Ben's Hope, there's many, many families in our community that their child, their loved one is beyond school age, and they're lonely, and they're isolated, and they need connection. Sure. And so the Church of Ben's Hope has really been a place where that happens organically. So like, Steve, if you come on Sunday night, you might meet a family who lives somewhere else in Ottawa County and be able to develop a, a real friendship with them and start to wrap around their life in a meaningful way. So I kind of see the work of the Church of Ben's Hope as um, like partnering people together. Um, and it's often families that have have tried to find a home elsewhere in the community. And we have so many good churches that love love to embrace families with disability, but it is also true that sometimes sometimes it's more complicated than a church knows how to support, right? right, right. So those families often end up with us. Okay. So I love the idea of people as a first kind of toe in the water yeah. at Ben's Hope, just come on a Sunday night and experience church with us. And then there's lots of ways to grow out of that into either kind of natural friendships Okay. That we can help, you know, help coordinate a little bit or actual volunteer roles, you know, at Ben's Hope. Great. And or how can... employment. Okay. Yes. Can I talk about that? Please do. Yeah. Okay. So let's say there's somebody listening who, who might be thinking, ah, I feel like God's tugging on my heart a little bit, but I've never worked with people with disability. I'm not trained. I'm a finance person or I'm a builder, you know, lots, lots of you know, unrelated fields that might make you think that I don't know if this is work that I could do. Um, I will share what we really look at when we're considering, you know, mutually exploring employment is what is a person's heart and desire to be part of life alongside folks with disability. We can train skills. Right. You know, we can't we can't change the condition of a heart. So I've got um, I'm thinking of one of our um, sidekicks who's been with us for probably six years now. He's got a construction company. That's his full time business. That's his professional work. But he fits in time in his life to do probably three shifts a week at Ben's Hope. Wow. And it's awesome. You know, he has deep friendships with the men and women 
who live here, especially the guys that he supports in the houses where he works. And I believe for this man, it's a it's a it's a response to God's call on his heart to do something um, that is life changing in people's lives. That's incredible. Yeah. Where should people go to get more information? Right. So go to the website. Okay. Um, Benjamin'sHope.net. Okay. All kinds of information there. Also an application. Um, if people would like to explore it, I'd say, you know, even if you're just thinking about it and you're not sure, but you'd like to come and, and do an interview and just learn more about it, please fill out an application and we'll be happy to get in touch with you. Great. Yeah. Krista, to the families who feel like they're yeah. just barely breathing. Yeah. What what word of encouragement do you have for people who really feel like they're running on fumes? Yeah, yeah. I felt that way for a lot of years. Um, you know, I, I, I think my word of encouragement, you know, Galatians 6, 9 was a really important verse for me for so many years. It says, do not grow weary for doing good. At the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So for me, you know, in my kind of unique role of developing a nonprofit, that mattered. But it matters to parents, too, because it means that God is giving us this word of encouragement, even exhortation, I think, of saying, you know, just stick with it. Just keep showing up. I've got a good plan. You know, it didn't say, Krista, you have to be the most capable person who knows how to start a nonprofit. It just said, don't give up, um, which I think speaks to rely on me. I will equip you. Um, I'll say this because there's probably a few parents listening. Um, you know, Ben at 25 um, is still profoundly affected by autism. And I look at his life that God has given him, um, and it is everything and more. It is everything that I would have dreamed of for him, and it includes his autism. So I would say don't, you know, grieve. The grief is real. I understand that. And for a person with autism who's listening to this, um, you know, I understand that when our bodies don't do the things we want them to do, um, that's hard and we grieve. And God, our beautiful, redemptive Father, can take all of our grief and create something that is immeasurably more than we expected. So don't lose heart. Find some people to be close to um, who are a little bit further down the road and trust your Heavenly Father. Krista, thank you so much for Mm. your time, for your story for your tenacity (laughs) and for your leadership. Mm -hmm. It's been a blessing to me both directly and indirectly to see what God is doing in and through Ben's Hope and what he has yet to do. Yes, thank you. Bless you. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.